the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And hour number two is not away at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Monday, the ninth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Appreciate you being a part of our conversations today. Thanks to Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, first thing we talked to Congressman Jordan about is the, the uh, f- top subject of the day. We are just two days away from the 18th anniversary of the worst terror attack in the history of the United States. Uh, on 9-11, and uh, there was supposed to be a meeting between the organizers. All right, not the organizers. The organizers and the uh, planners and those who carried it out were specifically al-Qaeda. But those who provided funding and training grounds for al-Qaeda are, of course, the Taliban, the de facto leaders of Afghanistan, and uh, the president was going to have a meeting with two of the, or excuse me, with them, uh, several of the leaders. Uh, not exactly sure how many of the Taliban negotiators were going to be there, but it was going to be uh, this weekend, and the president waited until Saturday to cancel them, despite finding out on Thursday that the Taliban uh, essentially uh, decided to punctuate their impending meetings with um, a, a terror attack. They killed 12 people on Thursday, including an American soldier. And with that, the president canceled uh, the scheduled talks with the Taliban. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the Taliban overreached when they admitted to a bombing that killed a U.S. service member, telling Fox News Sunday. Uh, the American people should know we will continue to apply the appropriate pressure to make sure uh, that we never struck with terror again. The planned talks on U.S. soil drew criticism from Democrats and Republicans. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer says the president had no business bringing Taliban officials here on the eve of the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney agrees with calling the talks off, but says no member of the Taliban should ever set foot at Camp David. And there's a part of that that, you know, is, is I think, a popular opinion. There's part of that that, that Republicans and Democrats share, that Taliban 
you know, the Taliban appearing in the United States on foreign soil without having handcuffs and leg irons and being marched to a courtroom for uh, expedited processing to Guantanamo should never happen. Allowing Taliban leaders on American soil would be tantamount to allowing Al-Qaeda on American soil free to come and go without being under arrest, without being held responsible for 9-11 itself 18 years ago. And that still freaks me out, by the way, to say that. 18 years ago. My daughter was just born three weeks before 9-11 happened, and obviously she is 18 now. It freaks me out when you think about how much American life, uh, how our lives have changed over the course of the last 18 years. I'm sorry to get off on the tent, but I mean, really, it just does. But at any rate, uh, there is a belief by some that if the president wants to hold these meetings, fine, not on American soil, not at Camp David. Hold them in a third-party location. Hold them in a third nation. Uh, not Afghanistan, but not the United States. It's kind of the way they met in Vietnam when the president met with North Korean leaders originally in Vietnam before going and having a brief exchange in the DMZ when he was in uh, Korea. But, uh, but at any rate, there is a point to that. But I will not criticize the president for scheduling the talks in the first place. Um, at the risk of, of being redundant, I want you to hear Mike Pompeo again. If you heard it in the first hour, it will be redundant for you. If you missed it, uh, well, this is your first time listening to it. It's important you should hear this as he explains to Chris Wallace why these peace talks between the president and his leadership team and, of course, the Secretary of State himself, Mr. Pompeo, and the Taliban negotiators is something that really needs to happen. Yeah. I, I want to get to the bigger question. Who thought it was a good idea for the President of the United States? You had an agreement in principle already, your envoy meeting with Taliban leaders in Qatar, fine. Who thought it was a good idea for the President of the United States to meet with Taliban leaders who have the blood of thousands of Americans on their hands just three days before 9-11? I despise Chris Wallace, but it's a very fair question. We know the history of Camp David. We reflected on that as we were thinking about how to deliver for the American people. And so as we considered the right path forward, your point about an agreement in principle, I I think that's true. We weren't complete. There's still lots of implementation issues, lots of technical issues that needed to be worked on, even though we'd been doing this for months. Uh, President Trump ultimately made the decision. He said, I want to talk to President Ghani. I want to talk to these Taliban negotiators. I want to look them in the eye. I want to see if we can get to the final outcome that we needed so that we could sign off on that deal. So we found that arrangement acceptable, that the verification was adequate, and we concluded this was a perfectly appropriate place. You you know the history of Camp David. Uh, Lots of bad folks have come through that place. There have been lots of peace negotiations taking place. It's almost always the case, Chris, that you don't get to negotiate uh, with good guys. Uh, The reason you're in negotiations to end wars, to end conflict, to end violence, to reduce risk to the American people is almost always because the person across the table from you isn't exactly the finest. Good and fair question from Wallace. Even better answer from Mike Pompeo. Well, I understand. I don't want to press the point too much, but you know, Yasser Arafat was there, and obviously he was responsible for the Palestinian Liberation Organization for the death of many people. Many, many Americans. But the Taliban has the had the death of thousands of Americans, and it's just 
three days before 9-11. No concerns about that? And, and I guess my question is, you know, I can understand the envoy talking to him. Why does the president have to confer that status on them? Yeah, uh, President Trump was very clear. He wanted to make sure we got to the right place. He has always been someone. I've observed this now for my entire time working for him, as CIA director and now as Secretary of State. Uh, he's willing to take risks. If he believes he can deliver a good outcome for the American people, he was, he was hopeful that this conversation would lead. I mean, we've been at this now almost two decades. Chris, $30 billion a year. And we've got terror risks all across the world, not just in Afghanistan. We've got to make sure we have the forces postured right all across the world. We, we sometimes singularly focus on Afghanistan because of its deep history and deep connection and what they did on 9-11 that still angers me to this very moment. We've got to make sure we get it right. Uh, and our efforts over the last months have been to do that. President Trump has been very clear about our mission set, and I hope we'll get the opportunity to continue to head down that path. So that we- I do, too. I do, too. And I get it, too. The president- president is a negotiator by by trade. It's what he has done for his entire career. He doesn't like to send other people to negotiate for him when he feels like he is the best man for that job. I get that. Jeff in Beachwood, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. Um, not to change the subject, but uh, it really troubles me that we as Republicans and conservatives allow the constant, constant bashing of the president on every subject, and particularly with this impeachment and everything with absolutely no evidence that the president ever did anything wrong. And the uh, the uh, IG report came out a week ago, found yep. 10 times more stuff of what Comey did and, the, and what the Democrats were doing behind the scenes. And Republicans hardly talk about it. And even talk shows hardly talk about it. And I think the, the fear is, I, the fear I have is, that the public will just get so tired of hearing all this negative stuff, they'll they'll decide to vote against Trump just to have that stop. And and I think we need we have so much evidence against the Democrats, hard evidence, true evidence. We don't have to wait for Barr. I mean, I don't know what's taking Barr so damn long, but. Well, I think he's waiting for two things. I think he's waiting for the full Inspector General's report, which is yeah. not out yet, and he's also waiting for the report from uh, uh, John Durham, uh, who is uh, or Dunham, who is who yeah. is also uh, conducting a parallel investigation. And I think those are going to be the biggest hammers that drop. Um, Jeff, as to your first point about Republicans not standing up for the president, it depends on which Republicans you're talking about, because the conservative Republicans, the Freedom Caucus Republicans like Jim Jordan, have been very vocal about screaming about that very narrow uh, uh, Horowitz report, the Inspector General's report about Comey. It was just narrow. It was pretty much focused only on Comey. Uh, They have been screaming that we need to get him in before the uh, congressional committees now, including oversight. And we need to discuss this, and we need to figure out why uh, um, punitive steps must not be taken, why are criminal charges not being filed. So there are a lot of conservative Republicans who are supporting the president um, in this manner, especially over the Comey issue. But there are a lot of the more rhino Republicans, and we know why. They are more concerned with other matters rather than defending the president. And by the way, on that, I agree with you. We do need to worry about those folks. i got to get out now because it's 1018. Coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to the Secretary of State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, about voter roll purging and protecting of individuals who were mistakenly included in those roles. Uh, big controversy, and the uh, Secretary of State will, ad- will address it with us next, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer.
1021 now, the Bob France Authority, continuing on AM 1420. The answer, I want to welcome our next guest to the program now. He is the Secretary of State of the great state of Ohio, Mr. Frank LaRose. Uh, Secretary, good morning, sir. How are you? Happy Monday to you, Bob. Great to be on the show. Good to have you. Uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Um, let's hit this. The Democrats and uh, political opponents of the Republicans, and including the administration of uh, Governor DeWine, say that you are continuing your attempt, which Republicans are doing all over this country, they claim, to disenfranchise people, to try to make it harder for people to vote rather than easier. And, of course, they're speaking of Ohio's purge of inactive voter registrations. Uh, and I understand there have been some um, measures that have been taken to protect people uh, who may mistakenly be added to those voter roll purges. Uh, what can you tell us, Mr. Secretary? Well, first of all, that that uh, charge you hear from the left is just utter nonsense. It's easier in Ohio than almost any other state in the country to get registered and to participate in our elections. And that's something that we're proud of in Ohio. But at the same time, it's my responsibility under both state and federal law to maintain accurate voter lists. And the process that Ohio has carried out for decades, going back to, by the way, both Republican and Democratic secretaries of state, are that if we don't hear from you for six years, and that means you've missed at least 12 elections, think about that, uh, then we send you these mailings, uh, at least two of them, in some cases more than that, and if you don't respond to those, uh, then the law says that the secretary shall direct the boards of elections to remove your name from the list. doesn't give me an option. My oath of office obligates me to carry out this process. Uh, we decided we were going to do it a little bit differently, though. Uh, we carried out the process. We are carrying out the process with our partners at the boards of elections. But I decided, you know, if you're going to have 88 county boards of elections pulling this list from 88 different databases, that there's some room for human error. And so let's let's make it transparent and let's put the list together two months in advance and publish it for everybody to see. That's the right thing to do. We did it. And uh, sure enough, there were some errors found. Thankfully, we corrected them. Because we did it so transparently, we were able to detect those errors. What kind of numbers are we talking about, sir, if I may interrupt? Uh, like, yeah, uh, for example, how many people are, are being purged and then how many errors of that number? So we found uh, the original list uh, was about 235,000. Uh, and so let me break this down. The, the, the original list was about 235,000. Mm-hmm. And we have thankfully been able to identify over 12,000 uh, that wanted to still be registered voters. These are the folks that we were able to contact through these community groups that we've been working with and the mailings that we've sent out. And so that's over 12,000 Ohioans that have said, no, I want to take responsibility for my voter registration and I want to stay a registered voter. So that's good. Even, even though they were, haven't voted in 12 elections, as you point out, at least 12 elections. Absolutely. And you know what? If people have become disenchanted and decided to sit on the sidelines, that's unfortunate. But we don't want to lose them from the voter rolls. So we sure. were able to find them. But, you know, there were, in, in, in some cases, some vendor errors and some human errors at the boards of elections. But listen, the buck stops here. And that's why I said, uh, we're going to get this right. We're going to find it and we're going to fix it. And in those cases, it was several hundred. It was it was uh, several hundred individuals that had been placed in the wrong status or because of a coding error or, or what have you. Thank God we caught it and we fixed it. And and we we, we when we ran this process uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, it's the most accurate that it's ever been done. And uh, and I'm confident that uh, that I'm fulfilling my obligation to carry out the laws of the state of Ohio. And at the same time. Uh, we're not going to create this scenario where folks are inaccurately removed from the rolls. 
We're talking with Secretary of State uh, in the state of Ohio, Frank LaRose. Um, I'm so glad to hear you say that repeatedly, that you have a, a, an obligation. Your oath of office requires you by law to make sure that the voter rolls are accurate, uh, which begs this question, why are we just now hearing about this? Is this not so? How often does the law require you or anybody in your seat, pre, you know, your predecessors, how often are you required to update these voter rolls? Well, it's a great point, Bob, because, you know, this wasn't previously controversial when both Democratic and Republican secretaries of state carried this out over the past couple decades. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, a couple of years ago, some partisans decided to try to make a political issue out of it. They took my predecessor to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, guess what? Uh, the state of Ohio process was upheld by the court. Uh, but despite that, you know, the, the Ohio Democratic Party decided to sue me just a couple days ago, and, and thankfully they lost that lawsuit already uh, and have since withdrawn it because uh, Ohio's process is, is pretty straightforward. That's pretty well understood, and it's been upheld by the courts. But that doesn't mean it's perfect. It's still 20-plus years old, and I'm working to try to modernize it and make it better. And if you, don't, if you think the law is not ideal, you don't simply stop carrying it out. You work to make it better. And that's what I'm doing in a bipartisan way with the legislature. We can, we can do better in 2019 uh, with this process, and we can modernize it, and that's what I'm working to do. Are the individuals who find themselves or their registrations on these uh, uh, roles, you know, to be purged, if you will, are are, are they solely based on lack of um, uh, voting in previous elections, as you have pointed out, or are there any other any other characteristics that they share? And the reason I ask that question before you answer it is. What voters, voter rights groups, particularly liberal voter rights groups, uh, you know, uh, supporters of Democrats, et cetera, are saying is that these voter roll purges are discriminatory. And I'm looking to try to find what, where's the discrimination? What are we, what are they accusing you and, and, uh, the DeWine administration of in terms of discrimination? Well, and so, first of all, here's the really bad thing about that. That kind of hyperbole and really fear mongering, uh, mm-hmm. when you talk about voter suppression, that kind of thing scares voters, and first of all, it's untrue, but it scares voters, and it makes people think, well, why should I participate? That's the really corrosive thing about that, and that's why uh, these, these partisans that have tried to, to scare voters by somehow uh, insinuating that this is this intentional effort to keep people from being involved or whatever else is, is truly shameful. But here, here's what we know. Of the 235,000 on the original list, we know the vast majority of those are not people. Let me explain. These are deceased. These are, I call it the three Ds, deceased, uh, duplicate, and departed. These are those that have passed on and no longer with us. Uh, these are those that are duplicates. Every time somebody moves, there's the possibility of creating a duplicate registration. Those need to be cleaned up. And then departed are those that have left the state or, or, or left the county. And so of that list of 235,000, the vast majority of that are people that uh, shouldn't be or read, really not people, records that shouldn't be in the database anymore. So we're just cleaning out bad data. Uh, but, you know, we're also seeing that uh, this is pretty evenly distributed across the state. We see it all throughout uh, the state, Appalachia, big cities, uh, small towns. It, it, uh, it's simply a process that keeps our voter rolls cleaned up and, and up to date. Last thing before you go, Mr. Secretary, and I really appreciate this great explanation. We're talking to Frank LaRose, Secretary of State in Ohio. Um, I kind of know the answer, but I, I just want you to kind of clarify it for those who are critical. Um, 
what is the danger of leaving these roles unattended? Outside of it would be a violation of your oath of office. You are required by law to do this. Outside of that, what is the danger of leaving all of these uh, uh, registrations uh, as is? The registrations of people who are deceased, people who are no longer in the state, et cetera, et cetera. Why not just let them be? Why not just let them sit there? They're not hurting anybody. Well, first of all, you're right to say both state and federal law requires us to maintain accurate voter lists. But the, the two problems that you have if you allow your voter rolls to become inaccurate, full of dead people or those mm-hmm. that have moved out of state, is that it creates a, a lot of room for voter fraud. Thankfully, voter fraud is rare. Uh, but one of the reasons it's rare is because we keep accurate voter lists. But the other thing is it creates a, a terrible inefficiency problem with elections administration. Uh, the boards of elections allocate how many voting machines. Uh, how large their polling locations would be, or how many of these poll workers need to be at each location based on uh, voter registration numbers. And so you've got counties in California where they have more registered voters than there are citizens, according to the census. That's ridiculous, and we will never allow that to happen in the state of Ohio. Yeah, and, and that is very important to point out. Uh, and the reason I ask, uh, obviously, is, and, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but... You kind of already did. Is it safe to say that those who wish to keep these roles inaccurate and to keep all of these registrations active, even though the people are not here anymore for one reason or another, it, it might it be fair to say that these people have an interest in perhaps uh, l- leaving it more rife to voter fraud? You know, I'm not going to make that accusation, uh, but I guess I'm the optimist that tries to ascribe good motives when possible. Uh, I do know that these groups want to play politics with it. And that's why, like I said, when, when we've invited community groups to engage with us and actually help us find people and get them registered to vote, a lot of them have. Uh, the Ohio Democratic Party instead decided to file a lawsuit against us, which is not the productive way to go about this. It doesn't really accomplish anything. They, they want to play politics. They want to try to dust me up. But uh, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my job. That's what the voters of Ohio hired me to do. And we're going to maintain accurate roles and do it in a way that's collaborative and transparent, better than it's ever been done before. And uh, well, if, uh, if that makes me a bad guy, then I guess I wear that as a bad Yeah, guy. you know what, Yeah, and, and I appreciate and respect that, and that's why you had to answer it the way you did. It was the right answer given your position. I'm not in your position, so I'll answer it my, my own way, and, uh, and I will make that accusation. The fact that they're calling you discriminatory, the fact, fact that they're calling your uh, plan here on this voter purge, which you were required by law to do, to call it voter suppression, et cetera, et cetera, indicates that they do not have fair play in mind. Uh, they have per, a partisan politics in mind, and the more... Um, active voter registrations that are not being used because the users are dead does indeed give them more opportunities to commit voter fraud, which would be much more rampant, as you point out, without ac- accurate uh, voter rolls. Uh, so, Mr. Secretary, I really appreciate that. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, keep up the good work, sir, and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Bob. Let's remind everybody to register to vote. Visit ohiosos.gov if you want to do it. It's easier than ever. That's the right way to do it. Thank you, sir. That's uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to get news now and on the other side. Act for America has got another meeting scheduled. The next guest speaker is Diane Stover of Ohio Values Voters. We're going to talk to her, value voters, rather. We're going to talk to her coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. Great conversations this morning with Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative Jim Jordan. Always appreciate uh, their time. We're covering a lot of ground today. 
And we're going to pivot once again now to a new subject. Uh, it's kind of related to some of the others, however, though. It is national security, just in a way that you may not uh, quite understand at the outset. Coming up um, next week, or actually, you shouldn't say next week, later this week, coming up on Thursday, September 12th, um, the next Act for America meeting is going to be held at the Brexville Community Center. It is um, obviously a very important organization doing important work, <clears throat> providing monthly, roughly monthly meetings with experts in various fields related to national security. This week's expert is going to, or this month's expert, if you will, is going to be Diane Stover. She is the president of Protect Ohio Children, Stopping Obscenity in Classrooms. And you might think to yourself, what does that have to do with national security? Well, believe it or not, it does. Uh, Diane is a retired uh, IT security risk management professional. She's a nationally certified program manager. And again, she's a member of the National Protect Children's Health Coalition and the statewide coordinator. I think I called her president. Statewide coordinator of the Protect Ohio Children to Stop Obscenity in the Classroom. She's worked on several uh, federal, state, and local election campaigns for over 30 years. She's been a leader in organizing faith coalitions in Northeast Ohio. And she is a retired 40 year veteran of fourth grade Sunday school teaching, uh, among other things. And she is going to be the uh, keynote speaker and uh, educator, if you will, coming up on Thursday at the Act for America meeting. She joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Diane, good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Bob. I'm a, my husband and I are big fans of you and your program. Thanks for having me. Well, that's mutual. I am a big fan of Ohio Value Voters, and I know you and your husband are just so such incredibly tireless workers working for that organization and things that matter to so many of us. So uh, I really appreciate that. So, Dan, uh, let's, let's talk about this uh, from any perspective you wish, but eventually I know it's going to get to national security because there is an implication based on what is being taught to our children in classrooms, how they learn, whether or not they're being educated or indoctrinated and the impact that that can have uh, on uh, on their actions as adults. And I think that's where we get to national security. But um, tell, me, tell me more about your work with Protect Ohio Children. Sure. And I think when you frame it in a national security issue and you, you, you think about how Ohio mm-hmm. is one of the top states that's suffering from uh, sex trafficking and, and human trafficking, um, Grooming children right in the classroom is is a gateway to that, so it is a national issue. Uh, this has been a two-year journey for me and for Protect Ohio Children. I was invited into this work uh, two years ago. Uh, the woman who invited me in actually is my colleague in California, where parents' and citizens' hairs are on fire with this issue because uh, the radical left uh, is using this. Uh, When we talk about comprehensive sex education, Bob, it's Planned Parenthood and their allies. Um, They've basically taken over our universities, and now they are right in the the, K through 12 schools. And so this national coalition is fighting uh, that scourge on our country. And in Ohio, we have law on the books, Ohio Revised Code that states that teaching children about sex education should stress, I say stress, abstinence until marriage. And so what you have is a situation where uh, for the past 10 years, um, mostly through federal grants that came through under President Obama, uh, funding this type of education that teaches children actually about uh, it sexualizes children and teaching them about consenting to having sex. 
Uh, it promotes uh, the wrong behavior for children. Actually, uh, fails to establish that abstinence is the goal, and uh, promotes gender confusion, uh, which is just so outrageous. Um, even teaching about abortion and a uh, full range of contraceptions. We've identified 15 harmful elements of comprehensive sex education, and that's what we're fighting. And when we got involved in this, lo and behold, there were so many other things that we found on, you know, in being involved with. For example, um, the drag 101 classes in the libraries, for example, which we have found uh, in Lincoln County, for example, when it was advertised there, it is actually sort of a backdoor way to teach children comprehensive sex education funded through, in that case, the, the CDC grants. So it's been an interesting journey. We've done this year 17 sort of town hall meetings across the state from Ashtabula all the way down to Cincinnati. And I guess the bottom line is that we don't want Ohio to be California. And that's what we've been up to for two years now. That's very well said, and that's very troubling when you think about it, uh, that, that we could be on that path. But we are, because, in, in fact, do we need to focus, Diane Stover, of, um, of Protect Ohio Children, among other organizations, Ohio Value Voters, do we need to focus more on the curriculum and, and targeting curriculum at the local levels, at school boards, et cetera, or is this more on teachers at the national and the federal level, starting with organizations like the very far left of center National Educators Association. You know, the teachers unions have a very, very big say in in a lot of what is being taught and how it is being presented here. So would you say that the focus should be more on them or should it be more on the curriculum that we can discuss with our local uh, school boards and administrations or maybe a combination of both? Well, in Ohio, of course, uh, we have local school systems, and we should look at a local level. But we have state Ohio Revised Code that states how it should be done, and we'll talk about this at the Act Cleveland meeting on Thursday. Um, it, it specifies how it should be done. And when the state law says how it's supposed to be done and our local schools are not following that, they're out of compliance, then there needs to be action taken, and that's what... Ohio Value Voters has hob, uh, had uh, hired a lobbyist this year, and we've been talking to legislature uh, legislators in Columbus, and we want the law strengthened and enforced. What happened was when I joined the coalition, I said, okay, what is it like in Ohio? Who knows what it's like? And nobody had an answer to my question about give me a list of the curriculum. You're right, Bob. We need to focus on the curriculum because we don't want Planned Parenthood having a new funding stream in Ohio to gain more of their liberal agenda right in the classroom. But when I started doing public records requests to find out what curriculum is being used, and by the way, Ohio Revised Code says that parents have the right to opt out. They also have the right to inspect the curriculum but I can tell you it's like pulling teeth. I should be a dentist by now after all I've been through <laughs> for two years. It's not easy to find out what students are being t taught locally. And it is a security health issue for parents not to have trust that their schools are teaching their children the right thing. So 
the bottom line is we did public records of the State Board of Education, the mm-hmm. State Board of Health, and the State School Board. That's where we started. And what you find out is that there is no monitoring. There is no accountability for this. And you cannot produce a list of the curriculum. But we didn't stop there. We did public records of a sampling of big and middle-sized school districts. And what you find out about the Cleveland Public Schools is that they are using, paid for by the Cleveland City Council funding it, Making Proud Choices is basically a how-to manual for having sexual activity. And so we, we had uh, created from our two-year investigation and public records request a blockbuster report that has been delivered to the governor, the Senate president, and the Speaker of the House. And anyone can go to our website, and you can look at it and inspect it for yourself. It's inappropriate. When, when was in that report school. submitted? I'm sorry, Diane. When was that report submitted to the governor and the uh, Senate president? In uh, the beginning of June. What response so, have you gotten from them, if any? Um, we have, uh, well, um, we're going to talk about that at the meeting on Thursday. But okay. our Senate president looked at some of our material, and, they, and his comment was, what does this have to do with education? It doesn't. It's, it's not appropriate. So we are looking at uh, legislation, an amendment to the legislation to enforce this, Ohio Revised Code 3313.6011 in Ohio. And we want to make sure that Ohio does not become California, where when they have a town hall meeting in California, 1,500 people show up, and they're losing their minds because it's mandated in law in California that children be taught this information that I'm describing. And in California, they have no opt-out, right? Uh, you you just mentioned right. that in the state of Ohio, parents have a right to opt their children out of, inf- of, of education lessons or whatever that they feel violate their own, their own values or, or, or teachings or religion or moral code. That's right. In California, there's no opt-out, and it affects all students, including private uh, education. Yeah, and, and, you know, here's the other thing <clears throat> that... Um, I I would say just looking forward, when some, and I know we can't control other states, but just pointing it out, that when some students uh, are educated in such a way, and I I use the word indoctrination at the beginning, especially when it comes to, you know, gender uh, studies and and, and these sorts of things, or or educational lessons as... uh, as they're being dictated in places like California, those students then leave their their state um, uh, uh, public schools and go to colleges, perhaps in other states, and encountering students from other states like Ohio, for example, and they bring their their indoctrinated ideas with them, and they then you know force them them upon other students in college settings uh, that maybe maybe were taught a little bit differently. That's the danger of not letting parents choose what their kids learn in these these issues because um, it affects them directly in the immediate you know moment of their education but they take those ideas and ideals then into their own you know uh, their 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 public lives again at the collegiate level and they spread them and share them with others and that's uh, that's a real danger exactly uh, and it, it's not it's not good for our culture um it's so dangerous because it's it as you say it's indoctrination of yeah. children let's get back to the basics of education and teach children 
you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic where they're failing, and let's forget about all this indoctrination that's going on. I just feel, I feel so badly for parents who recognize it and are powerless to stop it, because really the only alternatives you have would be find a private school that you can have your child educated in that is going to uh, you know educate and not indoctrinate in such manners but those are expensive and some parents just cannot afford the private school the other option is homeschooling quite frankly some parents are not up to the task of being able to homeschool and to teach and educate and so on and so forth so it, it, we really do have to make sure the public schools are are addressed here we can't just say let's abandon the public schools and and, and find another way to edu- educate our kids because Quite frankly, some of them can't. It just—it's not feasible for them to do it. So we have to work uh, through our legislators, through, as you say, the governor's office, and and on the local level through school boards and so on and so forth to make sure that we are addressing this at every level. This is what Diane is going to be talking about in much more depth than she was able to in 12 minutes on our program. So uh, Thursday. September 12th, this coming Thursday, at the Brexville Community Center, 7 p.m. Uh, it's the Act for America meeting. Diane will present much more information on this. You should be there to learn about it and share the information with people that you care about who might uh, uh, want to do something about it. It's a private event, so as always, they have to make sure that the location and the facility are secured. So if you'd like to attend, you have to send a request to this email. It's info at actcleveland.org, info at actcleveland.org. That's the way you can register. Uh, we just have to make sure that, again, the the uh, the event is secure. Diane Stover from Ohio Value Voters and Protecting Ohio's Children, thank you so very much for your time. I wish, a, wish you a wonderful event, an educational event on Thursday. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you, and God bless you for what you do, Diane. That's Diane, your husband, John, as well. The Stovers are really, uh, uh, they are just... Um, tireless workers and advocates on behalf of Ohio's children in so many different ways. 10.53, quick time out. Coming back with one final short segment on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Final segment, as promised. It's a short one. It is uh, 10.56, but uh, really appreciate the uh, information shared by uh, uh, Diane Stover with uh, Ohio Value Voters and Protect Ohio's Children. Really important meeting. Again, I, I want to make sure I have that right. If you uh, want to attend the meeting on Thursday, and I hope you do, uh, please info or excuse me, email <clears throat> info at actcleveland.org, info at Act Cleveland, just like it sounds, all one word, actcleveland.org, uh, so that we can uh, essentially make sure that we vet uh, visitors and guests so that uh, we have a positive, productive, constructive event with Act for America. So it's very, very important. I uh, also spent a good deal of time talking with Frank LaRose of the... Um, uh, the Secretary of State for the great state of Ohio. I was reading, as I was uh, questioning uh, the Secretary about the purging of Ohio's voter rolls, and I was mentioning what the liberals are saying, there's an article, uh, uh, naturally, it's going to be on the Huffington Post. Ohio set to remove more than 200,000 people from its voter rolls. Just the headline. Just the headline is so misleading. It's not 200,000 people. It's 200,000 dead registrations. And dead meaning just that they haven't been used in more than six years. At least the last 12 elections, nobody on that voter registration has voted. Ohio law mandates, as the Secretary said, uh, that the voter rolls be accurate. 
And it is up to the Secretary of State, who is in charge of Ohio's elections, to do that. He's simply following his constitutional responsibility by way of the Ohio Constitution and Ohio law. And uh, they claim, trying to remove 200,000 people from its voter rolls. Huffington Post, liberal journalism at its final, finest, and I use that word very loosely because it's not journalism at all, but trying to tell you that the Republican administration of Mike DeWine is trying to essentially fix the elections, to, to cheat in order to deprive 200,000 people of their registrations and their rights to vote. It's simply not true. As the secretary pointed out, 235,000 names were, or, uh, yeah, names were on this uh, list. They have all been notified at the last known addresses of all of the above of the fact that they were going to be purged from the voter roll unless they update their information and prove that they are still here and are interested in voting. The vast majority of them, about 200 plus thousand of them, are either dead, deceased people, or they are people who have moved and who are no longer eligible to vote in the state of Ohio. But they found a couple of errors, and I say couple, about 12,000. When you look at it from a big-picture perspective, it is kind of a couple of individuals who said, no, we do want to be on this. Okay, fine. So they fixed it. It is the most transparent job of making sure our voting rights are protected while also making sure that the lawfully required voter rolls are updated uh, that anybody has ever done. So thanks to the Secretary of State. I want 2020 to be free of voter fraud, and this is a great way to ensure that that happens. Of course, the best way would be voter identification being required, photo ID, but you know how that goes. All right, thanks to my guests, also including Congressman Jordan, and thanks to you for listening. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is next, and I'll talk to you tomorrow on the Bob Brands Authority. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.